If you saw someone sitting alone, not having fun, what would you say to help that person feel better? You want to play with us or something? I would say, do you want to play with me? Do you want to play with me? Do you want to be my friend? Um, do you want to play with me? Yeah. Do you want to play with me in checkers? Checkers is boring. Do you want to play with me? Because I have no one to play with. I'll give him a gold coin that's like a trinket or something, and it would say best friends forever, and it's a symbol of saying that I want to be your best friend forever. If you wrote a song to that person, what would the name of your song be? Best friends forever. You're never alone. You're awesome. Don't worry, be happy. Everybody's got friends. Don't let fear stop you from doing the thing you love. To get to you. Happier. If you were playing a game with your friends and you saw someone sitting alone not having fun, how would you help them have fun with you and your friends? I'd um, give him a controller and introduce him to my friends and I would say, come play with us. Introduce myself, ask, him what, ask her what her name is and introduce my friends. The same thing. <laughs> I would ask, since we're fighting over which game to pick, do you want to pick the game we're playing? I would introduce me and my friends and find a place for them in the game and let them play. Let them pick the game. Let them be the first person of the game. <laughs> I would tell all my friends to come and follow me and introduce all of us and then ask if they want to play with us. Do you want to play with us? I love that video. If only everyone was as nice as some of our kids. Well, hey, how are you guys doing? You glad to be in church today or what? Yeah, all right, good. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you are here. Uh, welcome. If you're here for the first time, you're visiting or checking us out, uh, we are just so glad you're here. This is a church that is safe to explore your faith. You can come as you are. Our only rule is no perfect people allowed. The perfect people sit out in the back and all the rest of us sit in here. So uh, we try to keep it simple. Love God, love people. And we are in a really fun, exciting, historic time in our church where we are casting vision for our future. We've been having vision nights. And we're in a sermon series called For Everyone. Why for everyone? Because Jesus came for everyone. He came to save everyone. He came to include everyone. Uh, he invited those that weren't invited. He included those who were unincluded. He welcomed those who were not welcomed other places. And we want to be a church that models his heart. And so we are a church for everyone. And so we are kind of, if you're new or you're visiting for the first time, you're catching us on kind of a progression of, of, of kind of a, a linear thinking. And, and we've been moving from one step to the next. But before we dive into that, I wanna make you aware of what's happening in the next couple of weeks because they're gonna be a little bit out of the ordinary. Next weekend, in light of all of our vision nights and our commitment and what we're doing, we are having what's called a launch party. Uh, and I, we are absolutely putting party, the word party into launch party. You do not wanna miss next week. Um, we're gonna have stuff going on all over the campus. Service is gonna look different. I have a mentor of mine who's coming to preach. He is incredible. Um, you're not gonna wanna miss that. There's gonna be stuff for kids, stuff for adults. There's gonna be all kinds of things happening. Um, you just don't, I just don't wanna give it away. Um, but what's happening in here is just part of what's happening next weekend. So it'd be a great week to bring somebody um, to church that has not been before, or maybe somebody you don't like that, like, man, you need Jesus. Bring 
bring them next week. Like that would be, like it'll be a good time. Then some of you are like, some of you need to stop looking around right now. Uh, then next week, the week after that, we're doing our serve day. It's our second annual serve day. Uh, and where what we're doing is we, one of our core values is that we believe that uh, we are spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers, and that we're, the church doesn't just exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. And so um, once a year, rather than have church here on our campus, we're gonna go be the church in our community. We have about 100 service projects. We're looking for about 2,000 people to sign up on serve day, to go do all kinds of things, to just be a light into our community. We did this about 15 months ago and it was incredible. Um, but we really need you to sign up. And I'm just so glad, I'm so glad that I am not a part of one of those churches that waits to the last minute to sign up for things. I'm just so glad that you guys are not those people. That you, in fact, I just, I know some of you are like, man, I just should get my phone out right now and text like so I could sign up, but I don't want Corey to think nothing. No, he won't think nothing. Like you should just get out your phone right now uh, and sign up for serve day. But listen, it's gonna take all of us. So if you would do that this week, um, we need about a thousand more people to sign up. We know you will. And I'm just so glad you aren't gonna wait any further than today to do that. Um, so that's what's happening in the next two weeks. And then we're gonna come back and kind of wrap up our for everyone. And we have a, a great time uh, planned in March as well. And so we've been talking about the idea of what does it look like that Jesus came for everyone? What does it look like to be a church for everyone? How do we be a part of this? And so last, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that you are invited. Say, I'm invited. I'm invited. That means you are invited into God's family. Jesus invites the people that others reject. We told a story of a sinful woman who came to Jesus uh, and it was kind of revolutionary and, and the fact that he invites those. And so you and I are invited to be a part of his family. That was two weeks ago. Then last week, we talked about the fact that you are invaluable. Say, I'm invaluable. You are invaluable to God because you're his. He, he made you, there's never been anybody like you. And so you are invaluable, but you are also invaluable to his work. He created you with a purpose for a purpose and he has something great for you to do. And so this week, I wanna kind of continue the, 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 the thinking, continue the conversation of when you understand you're invited and you understand you're invaluable, then you move to invested. You can be invested. Say, I'm invested. So now I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you the nine o'clock service, they came ready, like they were about it. They were bringing the best out of me. And so not to make it a competition, but I'm just saying, okay. Um, remember your job is to bring the best out of me. I'm gonna bring the best. And uh, if this is average, it's on you. So um, I'm invested. Here's the reality. We're all invested into things. We all are invested in, in, in investing is just anything that you're spending your time, that you're spending your money, you're spending your energy towards an outcome. Some of you are invested into your business. Some of you have financial investments. Some of you are invested into your marriage. You're invested into your kids. You're invested into your kids' education, your time, your energy, your skill, your money goes to certain things. And what's interesting about an investment is when you're invested into something, you really care about how it goes. When you're not invested, you just don't care as much. I remember uh, the first bike I got, my parents bought me, and, and I tried to take care of it, but I didn't really pay for it, I wasn't invested. So I'd let my friends borrow, we'd do tricks, it would break, no big deal. Well, I remember when I got a little bit bigger, I had to get a new bike, and my parents said, the one that you want is more than we could afford, so you're gonna have to save up and pay for it yourself. So I started cleaning houses, mowing yards, raking leaves, doing all kinds of stuff that I could. It took me about six months to save up money and I used my own energy, my own work, my own money to get something that I needed. You better believe when I got that bike, none of my friends were touching that thing. We were not doing wheelies, we weren't going places. Like it was like on the sidewalk with the helmet. Okay, let's be honest, it was the 80s. Ain't nobody wearing helmets in the 80s. Um, <laughs> nobody was wearing seatbelts either. Um, 
So, but I, I was different. Why? I cared so much about that bike because I worked hard for it. I, I paid for it and it meant something to me. We all have that, that we're invested into things. Some of you, you might be invested into a sports team. You got season tickets, you know, if, and if you are, if you're a season ticket holder, it doesn't matter if it's 105 degrees or negative five degrees, like you are there, you are early, you are tailgating, you smell like charcoal, bratwurst, like it's on, like you are invested, you care. I used to be a season ticket holder. Jesus, help the Huskers. Can we keep, please be good again sometime, please. Maybe you've taken a class, maybe for your work, like a business class or a skill class. Have you ever noticed like when your job sends you like, hey, we're paying for you to go to your, this class, you're like, yeah, maybe, we'll see, right? But if, you, if it's something you wanna learn, like maybe a personal trainer or something, if you put your own money into it, you are like there early, you take pages and notes, you're emailing the professor at like midnight, you are squeezing every drop out of that class. Why? Because you're invested and now it means something to you. I don't know what your life has been, but most of us at some point drove a junker car, right? Like the old junker, like you paid $500 and you're like, I think I got ripped off even though I only paid 500. You know, like you didn't really care what happened to that car. Your buddy would be like, hey, do you mind if I eat fries in this? You're like, bro, you can vomit in this thing, like whatever, like it, it ain't worth that much, right? It had no value. Then you get a little older, you get a job, you start saving, you get that Audi, you get that BMW, you get that Camry, whatever it is, the Ford F-150, uh, whatever. And all of a sudden, like, you care about this thing. You put money in it, took a while. You're paying for this. Your buddy's like, yo, do you mind if I eat in here? Like, you can't breathe in here, son. Like, like why? Because when you're invested into something, it means something to you. You care about how it goes. You care about it. And here's the truth. We are all invested into certain things. You're investing. You're putting your time, your energy, your money into things. And here's my question that I want us to discuss for the next few minutes today is are you investing, are, are we investing into the things that matter the most? Am I investing into the things that matter to God? Are we investing into things that will last? Because we're all gonna spend our money, our time and our energy and our skills on something. But are we investing into the things that God has invested in? Do we care about what he cares about? Are we pouring into what he pours into? Does what matter to him matter to us? In fact, Jesus spoke often about this, and we're gonna talk about a principle, and I wanna show you several things that Jesus said to help us to understand, because I think for some of us, this is what's causing us to miss out on some things in our relationship with God and allowing him to do stuff in us and through us that you can't really experience or understand until you start being invested into the things that God cares most about. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, he introduced this concept and he says this, don't store up, say store up. Store up. Mm, okay, you'll, you'll do better. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He's trying to teach people a principle about how the kingdom works. Here's what you need to know about Jesus. Most often when he taught, he either spoke directly or told stories and he was introducing the kingdom of heaven that was different than the kingdom of the world, that the way the world operates. So often he would say, the world thinks about it like this, whether it's relationships or time or money or whatever. He says, but, but in the kingdom, it's different. And so regularly Jesus is trying to teach his followers then and now that the way that the kingdom of heaven works is different than what we see going on around us. And most of the time it's contradictory and counterintuitive to what we see going on. And so he's regularly trying to help his followers understand that if you follow me, it looks and it goes different than if you just follow the patterns of the world. In fact, we're gonna talk more about that in some couple of weeks in March. But he's identifying this with this idea of, 
of being invested into God's kingdom. He's saying, hey, don't just store up treasures here on earth. Invest into things that last. And what he's trying to help them understand is this principle here, that our God has created us to pour, not just store. Again, at its basic concept, this is counterintuitive to the world that we know, that our God has created us to pour and not just store. And Jesus is trying to lay this thing out and he's addressing a mindset that many of his people had back then and there. And I think that many of us probably have struggled with or, or, or identify with. And he's speaking to this idea uh, of being a part of the kingdom. He's speaking to what we call a scarcity mindset. Say scarcity. scarcity. A scarce, there we go. See, now you're ready to go. Uh, I mean, if you get any little bit, if you get a little bit more with me, I mean, we could break out in pushups. Who knows what'll happen? Like I'll, I'll be ready. A scarcity mindset basically is based out of fear. A scarcity mindset believes I always need more. There's never gonna be enough. I need to store it up. A scarcity mindset essentially is if there's a pie and we cut it into pieces that we hand it out, I need to get my piece right away because when we're out of pie, I'm not gonna get any. So I gotta get some, I need more, I need to store it up. That there's one pie and when we're out, we're out. And it's based on fear that there's never going to be enough. In fact, scarcity mindset says this when it comes to investing. When I have more, I will give more. When I have more time, I'll serve. When I have more money, I'll give. When I have more energy, I'll contribute to somebody else's well-being. A scarcity world set mindset says, when I have more, then I will give more. Well, Jesus, again, knowing that his followers kind of wrestled with this because they were part of a world, he told many stories and allegories and parables to help his people understand how the kingdom works differently. And if you would go in on this, you would experience something that the world doesn't get to experience. And so he told this story in, in Luke chapter 12, one of the places I wanna look is he told a story, again, this was a, a parable or an allegory about a rich farmer, a rich farmer. And so in Luke chapter 12, he says this, he told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man, say rich man. Rich man. So here's what we know about this story. The dude is already a baller. Like he's already got it going on. He's got coin. Like he, He's a rich man. He's already done well. He's, he's very, very successful. He already has more than enough. And it says, this rich man yielded another abundant harvest. So not only is he bringing it in, it keeps coming in. Like he's got it. And so the, he thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said this to himself. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I will big bigger ones so that there will be more room to store my surplus of grain. And watch this in verse 19. He says, and then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This is, Jesus is speaking to this. He's teaching his people something. He's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a rich man who has this farm and he gets more. And he's like, I'm gonna build bigger barns. Basically, this rich farmer has a scarcity mindset. And what he's saying is, I'm not going to pour out. I'm going to store up even though I have more than I need and there's more coming in, I'm not gonna pour out, I'm going to store up. And Jesus goes kinda like, it gets pretty intense on how this works and watch what he says about this farmer. But God said to him, you fool, dang Jesus. <laughs> this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. Again, he's teaching a principle this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So I want you to notice what Jesus is saying. 
What he's not saying is that there's anything wrong with having a good harvest. There's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with having stuff come in. What he's saying is when we get more focused on storing up for ourselves versus being rich towards God, then we are missing out on everything that Jesus is trying to teach. He's saying that whole idea of rich towards God, it's this idea that I wanna be generous towards the things God is generous towards. I wanna invest into his kingdom. I wanna care about what he cares about. I wanna be about what he is about. He says, this is how it will be when you store up for yourself versus being rich toward God. He's speaking to the scarcity mindset. Uh, and, and, and the opposite of the scarcity mindset is this other idea that he's trying to get his followers to understand, which is an abundance mindset. Say abundance. An abundance mindset is the opposite of a scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset says God owns everything. God created everything. We have a good God who is a good father who wants to not only take care of our needs, but give us more than enough so that we can actually be a blessing and pour out to others and be a part of his kingdom, be a part of his church, be a part of what he's doing in other people's lives. An abundance mindset says if there's a pie and we cut it into pieces and we hand it out when we run out, we just make more pie. An abundance mindset says in, in the kingdom, God ain't ever run out of pie. Like that's not a problem. Like there's just, he'll just make more pie, but there's a faith element to this. And I wanna illustrate this. There's a great story in the Bible that totally brings this to life because Jesus regularly throughout the gospels is trying to help his followers understand this idea that in my kingdom to be my follower, we pour, we don't just store. And when you understand and trust that I'm gonna take care of you, I will give you more than enough and you will be able to pour out. And so he, there's this illustration, uh, a story, this is a true story that happened that, that I think really illustrates this. And I want us, as we do every week, to kind of get into the story because I, not only is this story incredible, I think it's hilarious uh, if you put yourself in the story and look at what might've been happening there and then. And so I wanna help you understand what's happening here. I'm gonna tell a story, it's out of Luke chapter nine. If you got your Bibles, you can go there. But if you have a heading in your Bible, it's gonna say, Jesus feeds 5,000. So here's the setting. Most theologians and historians believe that Jesus is speaking to his largest crowd ever. It says they counted the men in those days and there were 5,000 men. Now in those days, unfortunately, women and children literally didn't matter or didn't count. So they weren't counted, but most historians again believe there were somewhere between 15, probably closer to 20,000 people in the audience. People had come from all over to hear Jesus and he's literally preaching his, like this message in front of the largest audience he has ever preached in front of. Now. Also note, worth noting, if you look at the parallel passage, not only is it the largest uh, crowd he's ever spoke to, it's perhaps the longest sermon he ever preaches in the Bible. He just goes on and on and on and another thing and another thing and the kingdom of heaven is like, and you have heard it said, but I tell you, and like this, and the kingdom is like, and you've heard it said, but I tell you, and on and on and on. In fact, the story goes like this in Luke chapter nine, it says this. This is how they describe the sermon. Late in the afternoon, one translation says this, as the day wore on. <laughs> now, I hope that you never go home from church and somebody says, so how was the sermon? How was church today? And the first words out of your mouth, well, as the day wore on, like if that's happening, like I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask this question. But have you ever been in church and you just felt like the preacher didn't know that it was time and he just kept going and going and going and you're like, wrap it up, Padre, we got things to do. Listen, some of you don't gotta look at me like that when I ask that question. I, you could just like, you know, you could just do that. I'm sure I've done it. I've definitely been there. We've all been in church where it's like, hey, 
I don't know if the pastor knows like what time, but he thinks he's on it, but like he's still going, this is what's happening. 20,000 people in Jesus is like 93 point sermon. But here's what you gotta know about those times. Jesus's plan the whole time was not to live forever, but was to choose some, some volunteer staff that he called disciples that were gonna follow him, learn from him. And then once he went to heaven, he was gonna give his spirit and they were gonna start this thing called the church. So I say this often, but this is the realest thing to me about the Bible. When I read the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus, I respect him, I honor him, I love him, I love to serve him. I can't believe he died for every mistake I make, but I do not relate to Jesus. I do not relate to a man who always did the right thing and always had the right thing to say. And no husband in this room does either. Like if you think you do, you lying. <laughs> Jesus always had the right thing to say. I don't relate to him, I think he's amazing, but I'll tell you what gives me hope. Number one, that he died for my mistakes. But I'll tell you number two, the 12 knuckleheads he chose to be his best friends and said, hey, let's go change the world together, that gives me hope. If he would choose those B-team draft dropouts that would be like, hey, stick with me, I'm gonna do something great and you change the world. If he can use Barty and Nate and Matthew and all them cats, like I'm like, man, maybe there's a chance for Corey because these guys were regularly arguing, couldn't get out of their own way, and Jesus was like, nah, follow me, I'll do something great. So you have to understand, everywhere Jesus went, everywhere he taught, these guys went with him. And what you need to know about the disciples is at least 11 of them were teenagers. Historians believe Peter was probably between the age of 20 and 23. So Jesus chose 12 teenagers to be like, hey, follow me, we'll just do the work together and y'all go change the world. That sounds like a terrible strategy to me. It sounds like a terrible strategy to me. Nonetheless, everywhere they went. So here's what it says. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So I want you, I'm gonna take a little bit of liberty, but if you've ever been around teenage boys, there's almost no liberty being taken here. So I want you to imagine Jesus has this crowd of 20,000 and he's got these 12 disciples and they're over here like listening to him preach and he's going on and on and on and on and on and another thing in the kingdom of heaven. And he's just preaching fire. And these teenagers are like, Come on. I imagine it went like this, that Peter, the lead disciple, called them together. He's like, Barty, Nate, like, come here, come here. James, John, come here, come here. Andrew, come here, come here, come here. Guys, is anybody else like starving? God, I'm so hungry. And the others have like, thank you. Yes, my God. Like, I've never seen, like, does he know? Like, he's usually on it. Like, I don't, maybe he's like amped up for this crowd, but he is like going so long. I'm about to die here. There's no Taco Bell nearby. There's no 7-Eleven. Like, this is terrible. Like, I am starving. But listen, here's like, they're like, Thomas, you should go say something to him. Like, Thomas like, no way. I'm not going to say nothing to him. So they're like, we got to do something for like, we're going to die. We're going to melt, you know, teenage drama. It's so like, well, here's the deal. Like, we can't go to him and be like, hey, Jesus, we're starving because he's gonna be like, you have little faith and we've already, he does that all the time anyway. And like, I don't wanna hear that message again. Like, yeah, yeah, I got it, Jesus, thank you. So we gotta have a plan because dude, like, I'm just like, I'm looking at their faces. I'm about to die. He's like, well, what? Okay, so here's the plan. We all gotta go together. And he seems to like really love the people. So let's just use that. Like, let's just go with, you know, what's concerned about the people. Like, hey, they're probably getting hungry. We're just looking at the looks on their faces. Like, man, whatever. And so they decide like, this is only gonna work if we all go together. So since the 12 came to him. And so this is how I imagine it going. <laughs> and this is so funny. So they come to him like, hey, so Jesus, like, can I just say, this might be your best message yet. Like you are preaching fire. Like the part about the beggar and the lame man and, and, the, and the hundredfold return and the farmer. Like I took like seven pages of notes. Like I've never, I love that part about the hundred time return turn and you're building the, the house on the rock. So amazing. Never heard anything like this. You are, if I say you are crushing it, it would be an understatement. Man, I've never heard this many great things. However, we, we just really care about the people 
Uh, we just couldn't help but notice some of their faces. They came a long ways. It's kind of hot. Like, I don't know, but you've been on it for a while. Um, and so like, like we were just thinking maybe we should send them away. There's no Taco Bell nearby or 7-Eleven. Like they're probably thinking like they're a little bit hungry. So just out of our concern for the people, we think maybe we should send them away. It's going to get dark soon. Like, hey, what do you think? <laughs> so I imagine this is their response. Like, hey, we got to like, if we do this and God, we can eat. I love Jesus's response. Watch this in verse 13. Jesus said, great idea, you feed them. <laughs> feed them. Actually, so glad you care about the people like I do. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I was about to wrap it up. Uh, why, don't you go, why don't you go give them something to eat? And Peter's like, well, that didn't go at all how we had hoped. <laughs> like that is, we need a new plan, boys. And this is where the story gets so cool and so like real at the same time. And so Jesus, the, later on verse 13, so the disciple says, so here's the problem. We only have five loaves and two fish. Basically, Peter's like, so great idea. Uh, however, all we got is five biscuits in a Long John Silver snack pack. And I don't know, you're usually good with numbers, but there's like 20K here today. Like we couldn't even, the 12 of us, like this is all we got. Uh, so like we would feed them, but we didn't have the foresight for this to be the biggest audience ever and the longest message ever. So like, we don't know what to do. So there, so imagine Jesus is like, hey, why don't you feed him? Like, this is all we got. And then Jesus is about to teach his disciples something. And I think he wants to teach us something. Watch his response. It says this, follow me. It says, taking the five biscuits in the snack pack. Uh, that's how it goes in my head. It's basically the same thing. It says, he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. Say, gave thanks. Gave thanks. And he broke them. Say, broke them. Broke them. Then he gave them. Say, gave them. Gave Three things. Three things. He gave thanks, he broke them, and he gave them. He, so he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Now, again, imagine being a teenage disciple in this case. Jesus is like, hey, you feed him. Like, all we got is this snack pack. So he's like, give it to me. God, I thank you in the name of me that you can do this. Bless it, broke it. So he gives it back. He's like, so here you go. Why don't you distribute that? Uh, five loaves, two fish. Jesus, you're usually really good with numbers, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if you see what's happening. I don't know if you see what's happening here, but this, like I could eat this by myself. How's this gonna go? So he's like, listen, we've seen Jesus do miracles. We don't know. Jesus said, feed the people. So I imagine if I'm like one of the disciples, I go to my first person, I'm like, listen, the Lord says you can have some, but you better take the smallest piece ever. I swear to God. <laughs> I'm just saying, listen, when you put yourself in the story that reads different, like you, uh, you better not take all this because this got to go a long way. I don't know how this is going to go, but the craziest. So this is what I'm thinking. This, this has to be what they're thinking because nothing Jesus did make sense. But watch what happens. I want to show you this. They started breaking it. And they started giving it and more came and they started breaking it. and They started giving it and more came. And they started breaking it. And they started giving it and more came. And Jesus does this miracle of multiplication and watch what happens. In verse 17, it says they all ate and were satisfied. It went from scarcity, we don't have enough, there's not enough pie, to all of a sudden, they didn't understand the kingdom works on a different scale, a different economy in a different way, that Jesus is never out of biscuits and gravy, never out of pie. They all ate and were satisfied. They kept breaking it, they kept giving it. Every person there ate, every person was satisfied. In fact, it says they had 12 doggy bags left over when they were done. So there were 12 basketfuls broken pieces. And now imagine you're the disciples. You're like, what in the world? We went from not enough to, you need more? You full? You good? You sure we got extra? How many disciples were there? 12. How many doggy bags were there? How many nations of Israel or tribes of Israel were there? 
12, Jesus was sending a message that when you view scarcity, what you view is not enough. When you bring it to me, when you bring kingdom mindset, when you invest into my kingdom, when you invest into my church, when you live and operate according to my kingdom, what used to be scarcity becomes abundance when you trust me with what you have. That's what Jesus is trying to teach himself. It's so, it's so good. They all ate, they were satisfied, and there was more than enough. Never once did Jesus go, oh my gosh, we don't have enough. And I wanna show you something really, really profound and simple, and we just showed it to you in verse 16. I want you to notice the progression because this really matters, and this is where you see the contrast with the world that we live in and the kingdom. What happened? Three things. Jesus blessed it, the disciples gave it, and then God multiplied it. Do you see that? Jesus blessed it, then the disciples gave it, and then God multiplied it. I know you're looking at me like, well, yeah, of course that makes sense, but if you think about it, that's backwards to our thinking. Here's how we want it to go. Jesus blesses it, God multiplies it, then we might give some. I'm just gonna let it sit. Because this is the world's economy. If God loves me and he blesses it, then he can multiply it. Then I might think about giving some of it. But Jesus is saying, not so in my kingdom, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So he says, here's how it works in my kingdom. I'm going to bless it. And once you start to give it, then I'm going to multiply it. When did the food start to multiply? When they stored it or when they poured it? When they poured it. Come on, somebody. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? Let's start breaking it. Let's start picking these baskets. Let's have the strategic whatever thing. And then you go to this side, you go to this side. No, they just started giving it. And as they gave it, more came. And as they give it, more came. And as they gave it, more came. And as they give it, more came. And some of you are missing out on a new world and experience in your relationship with God because you want him to multiply it. And then you'll think about giving it. And he's saying, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, it's the other way around. If you would start to give, watch what I would do with your time, your energy, your skill, your talent, your relationships, your parenting, all of those things. If you would give it, then I will multiply it. And he's teaching them this simple principle right here. What you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies. That's it. That's what he's saying. What you keep, that's what you got. You got your barns, you got your storage, but what you give, God multiplies. What you keep is all you got. What you keep, that's, yep, good, good for you. But whatever you give, you multiply. If, if, if Thomas would have been like, listen, oh, I don't know about all you suckers, but I'm eating this snack pack right now. Like you can die for all I care, I'm eating. That would have been it. But because he had the faith to trust Jesus at his word, he says, listen, I blessed it, you give, I blessed it, you give it, now you, we're gonna multiply it. They got to see a miracle happen. And when did God multiply what they had? Think about this. Was it when they stored it or when they poured it? Jesus wasn't just doing a miracle. He was trying to teach his followers something that there's a scarcity mindset that I would like to speak to that in my kingdom, there's plenty of pie, there's plenty of biscuits, there's plenty of snack pack. And if you would trust me, even though it may look like there's not enough, even though the budget or the time or the energy says, I can't do it. I am the God of more than enough. You can do all things through Christ. My kingdom and my economy and my energy looks different than the world around you. And if you would allow me to take what you have and if you would break it and you would give it and if you would pour out, I will bless you so much that you wouldn't even be able to handle it because I am the God of more than enough. Where it looks like there's not enough pie is just an opportunity for me to tell a story about how good I am. That's how Jesus works. In fact, there's a principle that goes all the way back to Genesis. It's the law of Moses. Jesus affirms it in the New Testament. And it's this idea of the tithe. It's, it's, a, it's, a, monetary, it's a monetary gift. And it's this idea that generosity and trust and faith should be an ongoing posture of the heart. And it should be a, a way of living, not just a one-time act or something that you do. 
This idea, the, the, the word tithe is the original word ma'aser, which literally means tenth or first tenth. And God's idea was, he's, he's like, he knew we would get so hung up on this. He says, I wanna create a habit where every time something comes in, you pour out the first 10%, and that will do a couple things. It will show that your trust and your faith in me, but it will also allow you to be a blessing. And once you start to pour out and once you start to give, I can multiply. And in all the Bible, in all the 66 books, it's the only thing anywhere in the Bible where he says, go ahead and try me, test me. Because I think he knew it would be so counterintuitive and so counterculture to the world that we lived in. He's like, I know you ain't gonna believe this, so go ahead and test me and watch what he says. So the prophet Malachi is speaking to God's people because they'd forgotten who they were. They weren't living like God's people. And so he says in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe, the whole tenth, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this. Go ahead, try me, God says, and see if the Lord Almighty, see, test me, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that there will not be enough room for you to store it. It's the backwards economy. It's the backwards kingdom. It's the upside down kingdom. He's saying, test me, test me, serve, give. I know it goes against everything that's counterintuitive because everything says work hard, earn, store, gather for yourself. But if you only store up treasures for yourself, but you don't pour out, you are missing out on who you are meant to be because you are not only invited into my family, you are not only invaluable because you're my child and you're not only invaluable to my work, but when you are invested, it will take your faith to another place, your relationship with God to another faith. It will rearrange your life in the most amazing, gnarly way. What God gives flows through me. Why did God say this about the tithe? Two really, really simple, practical things. And, and this is really, it's really practical. Number one, because it creates a habit and a lifestyle of trust and generosity. As soon as it gets in, it, get, it pours out. I'm so glad at, at, as a kid that my dad taught me this. My parents taught me this. I've been tithing since I was eight years old. And it's a lot easier to tithe on 25, 25 cents than it is to start this some other time. But I'm so glad that I was in, poured in that, like we are a part of God's kingdom and his economy, not just the world's. So it, not, it creates a habit and a lifestyle of generosity and trust. But it also, it was Jesus's plan to build the church or the temple and take care of people, the, the poor, the needy, the orphans, the widows, the people who need help. So when you bring yours, when you generously give, when you pour out, you not only create a habit of trust and generosity, you not only create space called faith in your heart for God to do things that only he can do. You also allow the kingdom to be the kingdom. You allow the church to be the church. It's a win-win, it's both and. The best picture I could give you to describe is this. Fork and a plate. I don't know if y'all have this experience, but some of you may be in church or business. Anybody ever been to a potluck? A pot, okay, y'all remember potluck? For those of you who don't know what a potluck is, it's when a group of people get together and say, we're gonna have like a collective meal together. And here's how it works. Each family or each tribe or group, you just bring something to eat that feeds your group. So if you have four of you, you bring something for four. If you have eight, you bring something for eight. And here's the best part, it don't even have to be that good. Cause I've been in potlucks all my life. I'm like, you didn't even try. You didn't even try. You didn't even try. My aunt, my aunt went ham on this thing. My aunt brought it. I'm eating her casserole. You get in the back of the line. You brought KFC bucket. You didn't even think about this. But the idea is everybody brings something. And then when everybody brings something to the table, you get in line, you get a fork and a plate and you get to try a little bit of everybody's. And when everybody just brings their part, when everybody does their part, everybody gets a fork and a plate and everybody eats and there's always more than enough. Now, some of it's amazing and some of it ain't that good. And me and my brother, me and my brother, and my cousins, we were, the, we were the potluck police. We knew who didn't bring food and they were always in the front. We were like, get out, get out, you are last. But our dads were the pastors, so we didn't get to say nothing. We just had committee meetings by ourselves. 
We're like, they're gonna eat all Aunt Lynn's casserole and grandma's jello and we're gonna get KFC, whatever. But it, but it works because everybody brings something. This was God's idea of generosity. It was the idea of the church. It was his idea of the kingdom. I'm gonna do something and here's what I'm, all I'm asking. Just bring what you can. If you forgot and went to KFC, bring KFC. If you can cook a bomb casserole, cook a bomb casserole. If you got skills, you got money, you got, you bring what you can. If everybody does their part, everybody eats, everybody has enough. But could you imagine if you had a potluck for a thousand people and everybody showed up with a fork and a plate, but nobody brought something? Imagine, hey, I'm hungry, feed me. Like, what's up? Like, I've been grinding, it's been hard, I didn't have time, I need to eat. This is what's happening in the kingdom sometimes when we aren't invested into God's kingdom. We, have a, we can potentially have a bunch of people saying, I've got my fork and my plate, I wanna eat. And, and we're going like, hey, if everybody brings something, we can all be a part of this. And the church, for the church to be the church, for the kingdom to be the kingdom, God's just saying, listen, I know the best you can do is KFC. Just grab some KFC and show up. Serve, invest, give, whatever that looks like. Because when you invest into the kingdom, it's not a monetary or, or an equal ROI. You, when you invest into the kingdom, lives are changed, souls are saved, hope is given, people are healed, freedom, marriages are repaired. And when you invest into what God cares about in his kingdom, it leads to stories like these. Hi, I'm Juliana and I've been calling K Christian my home for about a year now. Uh, you don't get married thinking that you're gonna get divorced. Nobody does. We all hope that um, we can make it. You have a partner that's gonna be there for you. And when that partner betrays you, it really turns your whole life upside down. About a year ago, my husband came home to, to, on the weekend and he told me that he wasn't sure he wanted to be married anymore. After everything that we did together and everything that we built together, he just had nothing left and had no room for me in his heart. I've always been a positive person and going through the divorce really made me question my strength and made me question my worth. I was depressed and I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of uncertainty and I didn't know how the rest of my life was gonna, how, what's gonna happen next. Coming to Cape Christian was kind of an accident. I lived about five minutes from here and just gave it a shot one day. I happened to come the, when Pastor Corey started the four letter word series. The second word was seek, and obviously that was seeking the, the kingdom of God first. And that was huge because that's when I realized that I hadn't put him as a priority. It felt like a little light bulb went in, went on on the inside. I knew I, I wanted to get close, but it never made sense to me on how to do it. And Cape Christian really has given me the tools and the inspiration to do it. Uh, maybe I'm just at a stage where I was more vulnerable and able to open up my heart and to really you start reading, like get inspired to read the Bible and get inspired to join a Bible study. And it's because of the love and the, the joy, like the peace that you feel when you walk into Cape Christian that just really inspires you to get closer. You wanna know more, you wanna learn more. Fast forward to now, and I am just so happy to actually feel that I have a relationship with God and that I can comfortably sit on my couch, 
read a passage, and journal. I've been doing a lot of writing. I've been doing a lot of bringing things to his feet, bringing things to him, and I do have a hard time letting certain things go, so I'm still working through that, but at the very least, I, it does get easier to bring things to him and walk away. After that is when I finally start to feel peace, and I started to feel that he is giving me strength, and he is building me up, and he is repairing my heart, because no other person and no money, no business, no project or no friend can really heal unless you open up your heart and you're vulnerable and you ask God to heal you. And He did that for me. He has rebuilt me, He has given me strength and He, I have felt that I don't need anything else and I don't need anybody else's approval and to know that I, what I'm worth and that I am loved. I'm telling you, every single week there's stories like that that are happening right here in our church. And when you are invested into God's kingdom, when you're giving to what God gives, and when you're invested in what God is doing here, that's a part of your story, that's your inheritance. See, when I go to Publix and I spend $100, I get $100 worth of groceries. But when I invest into God's kingdom, there's multiplication that happens in life transformation. And I wanna give the rest of my life to building his church and reaching people and bringing hope and letting people experience the love and the transformation of Jesus. It's the multiplication miracle we just saw in the story. Let me just say this. If you never serve here and you never give here, you are always welcome here. And we don't keep score, we don't judge, we don't keep track. You're always welcome here. But if you do, when you do, when everybody doesn't just come with a fork and a plate, but we bring something, it allows us to be the church that we are called to be in this city and in this region. And God is using us to impact this area. And you get to experience God working in you and through you in a way that will rearrange your whole life. Let me ask you a question. I don't know how many of you are sports fans, but in every sports, there's a championship trophy. There's a Lombardi trophy, which is the Super Bowl. There's an NBA trophy. There's the Major League trophy. There's a Stanley Cup in hockey. Let me ask you this question. That trophy, think about holding that trophy, winning the championship, holding that trophy up. How much is that trophy worth? What's the actual worth of that trophy? See, nobody really knows because the value isn't found in the cost. The value is found in the practice and the blood and the sweat and the tears and the training. And at some point, it has to cost you something for there to be any value in an outcome. You could buy one of those trophies and be like, hey, I got a Stanley Cup, but you didn't do anything to really earn it. The people who won it are the ones who knows the value of that championship. Why do I say that? You can receive the invitation to be God's family. You can believe and understand that you are invaluable to him and his work. But if you, ever, if you never move to being invested, you'll never find true value in the mission of God and being a part of life changes like that. And God is inviting all of us to say, would you be invested? Would you serve? Would you give? Would you be generous with your time, your treasure, your skill, your talent? If we all will come with just what we have, God will break it, he'll bless it, he'll multiply it, and he'll tell a story that gives him glory and we get to be a part of something incredible and who doesn't wanna be a part of something incredible? Serve day is a perfect picture of this. What happens when a couple of thousand of us just bring a few hours and a little bit of skill? The whole city will take notice. We get to bless the city and not so our church gets glory, not so I get glory, but we can just praise and give glory to a Jesus in heaven who has called us to be a part of his kingdom. So as we close, a couple thoughts. What is God putting on your heart? Where is he commissioning you, inspiring you, drawing you, 
nudging you to say, would you invest into what I care about? Would you care about what I care about? Would you serve? Would you give? Would you go out of your way to spend your energy or your skill to contribute to my kingdom? Would you trust me enough to pour out first and then let me multiply versus operate on how things work in the world around us? Some of you have maybe never given, you've never invested, you've never dipped your toes in the water of generosity financially. It's why we wanted to do the offering at the end. We're not gonna pass the buckets. At every exit, there's just gonna be ushers. And maybe some of you, for the first time, you can give. These envelopes, it gives you five different ways to give. You can put it in an envelope, text. There's giving stations, the app online. Maybe for some of you, God's calling you to be a part of our vision, the, the first fruits offering next week, the three-year commitment to generously give and say, I wanna be invested into this kingdom. Maybe for some of you, it's just to go sign up for serve day to say, God, I, have, I do have some time on a weekend I can give. Maybe it's to go through growth track and say, I wanna serve in my church. Maybe he's inspiring something else for you to be a part of something great in the city around us. Lastly, I'll say this. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God at all and you're like, man, I didn't know I was invited. I didn't know I was invaluable. Again, we're not asking for anything from you other than the fact that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died for every mistake you'll ever make. And then he went to heaven and he said that anybody who would believe in him and call on his name would be saved. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, every single weekend, several people decide to put their faith in Jesus and he is radically transforming their lives like one of the stories we just saw. And for you, maybe your first step walking out of here is going, I wanna, put my, I wanna be invested into a kingdom like that. I wanna be a part of the movement of God. I wanna be a part of something great, bigger than myself. And so for you, maybe it's not growth track or serve day or giving, it's just saying yes to Jesus. Wherever you're at, I just wanna pray and then we're gonna dismiss. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's just go to God. And if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as believing in your heart and just saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I'm gonna pray with you if that's you. God, I thank you that you, uh, you came to invite us to be a part of your kingdom, that, that it, we're like the disciples. Most of us, we are knuckleheads and can't get out of our own way, but you would choose us to follow you and you would say, hey, be a part of my thing, come change the world. And God, I pray for anybody who's never accepted the invitation to your family, to a relationship with you, not a religion, not a belief system, but a relationship with the living God that says, I, wanna, I want you to know my love and my hope and I wanna use you for something great. If there's anybody here watching or listening, that they would know that, that you love them and they would be able to put their faith in you. And that even right now, as their heart is leaning towards you, that they would just say, Jesus, my heart is yours. My life is yours. For the rest of us, God, may we move from being invited to invaluable to know that we, were, we have the opportunity to be invested. Would we respond to the nudging of your spirit to take the next step of whatever that could look like, giving, serving, our skills, our talent, our treasure. God, I thank you that you wanna use us to be a part of your kingdom. May we respond to your spirit not just be inspired or entertained this weekend, but may we rearrange our life in a way that would please you. And God, may you expand our faith to not wait for you to bless us and then we'll give out, but that we would give out and then watch you do more than enough. Help us to walk out with an abundance mindset knowing that you are gonna take care of us and allow us to be a blessing to the world around us. Help us to be light and salt everywhere we go and add value in every way that we can. In Jesus' name, amen.